Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, June 2nd, 2022 edition, and I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have this hour with you, hear your questions, concerns, goals, and provide you with unbiased answers. No hidden agenda, I'm not here to push anything, just here to educate you, give you the tools to help you become a better investor, a better decision maker when it comes to your money and your investments. Try to weed out the emotions, which are natural. The first thing that you have to do as an investor is recognize that. Recognize that emotions are going to happen, but it's about tamping down on those emotions as much as you can and ignoring them as much as you can. Focusing on your goals and sound logic, sound strategy. And in today's investing situation, it's very different from what we've been dealing with the past several decades. Higher inflation, higher interest rates, and a more volatile geopolitical situation. And with all that, it makes it more difficult to navigate in some ways, but easier in others. Why? Because it's a return to the tangible, it's a return to the here and now, and about delivering on the real needs of people today. And that's historically what businesses are all about. How do you solve people's problems today? Not the problems of five, 10 years from now, which was frankly kind of the theme for a long while. Now it's how do you make sure people have food and energy? That they have the goods delivered to their homes, delivered to their stores, that we kind of took for granted for a long period of time. 
And so it's going back to the roots of what an economy is about, what companies are about. And that means you have to return to the roots of the fundamentals of analyzing businesses and leadership and the stability of the businesses. And stability can mean multiple things. It can mean stability of their supply chains, stability of their workforce, stability of their financing. Are they reliant on external financing, raising capital, selling shares, selling bonds, or are they self-sustainable? And so we are in a world where sustainability means a lot different, many different things than what you heard of or you thought of sustainable just a few years ago. Less about the climate and more about can you stay in business? Can you provide your customers with the goods and services that you offer in a timely, efficient, effective, profitable manner? And so that's what we're going to continue to kind of get you focused on, keep you focused on. And we're going to do that with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success, which means whether we're talking about the market as a whole, geopolitical concerns, particular sector, I'm here to present it all without bias. Give you the facts as I see them and using perspective over 20 plus years of investment experience and a lot of times just studying market history. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment question and you get to shape the show to your liking. So you can call right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time, or you can leave a question on our invest talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. So let's get right to our first listener question. Now, Jordan down here in Dana point, just uh, one city South of me. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing well. How are you, Justin? Doing very well. You're looking at Centene. CNC is the symbol. You own it or looking to buy it? I own it, and I'm just wondering if I should hold on to it or sell it and take my profit. Kind of uh, holding steady on the chart, so I'm wondering which way it's going to go. Well, this is in the large cap value camp, so that's a positive. The technicals are perfectly fine. It's, it is trading below the 50-day moving average, but overall, it's been kind of in a trading range since the beginning of the year and looks to be roughly flat on the year. And in a market where the SP is down low, low teens, uh, flat is winning. Uh, and so, and this is a company with $4.4 billion in trailing 12-month free cash flow, which puts the free cash flow yield around 9%. That's pretty good. So... I see nothing wrong here from a valuation perspective. Earnings are expected to be 550 this year versus 515 last year. So it's supposed to make $6.30 next year. So not a not growing gangbusters. But once again, that's not the important that's not what's important here uh, in this environment. It's about consistency of their business, and it's a pretty consistently growing business. Which in equity has come down but still positive, solid. Uh, they have issued some more shares recently. That probably worries me the most. They went from 420 million shares in 2019 to 591 million shares outstanding today. Why is that? Is that 
they did they buy another company or are they what are they doing with that capital because they're not paying a dividend right typically that happens with companies that are paying too high of a dividend they're having to finance that with uh, with share sales etc and that's usually unsustainable so i want to know why that is um i i see no problem with it the technicals are fine the fundamentals are fine it's not super cheap but it's definitely not expensive uh, at all um so i would hold on to it i like the space that it's in for everyone out there probably don't know this they provide managed healthcare services through through government subsidized programs so dealing with uh medicare medicaid supplemental insurance and yes and that's 68 percent of their business is that medicaid supplemental so with more and more baby boomers retiring i see no reason to uh, be mad at this company so i would hold it thanks for the call jordan now we're moving into a break i'm ready for your questions now any topic of concern such as stocks finance anything money related give me a call this is invest talk at 888-99 chart Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profit? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on this investment scenario, when everything declines at once. We're going to talk about market correlations and how assuming the correlations are always going to be stagnant, that it can get you into trouble and why correlations can at times all go to one. And we're going to look at why that might be. Also, what will the next recession in the US look like? We're gonna dig into that. And then lastly, fuel prices. We have a deal or a reported deal with Saudi Arabia and whether or not they're going to, um, whether or not they're going to cut uh, or increase production, excuse me, and I think that's something that we want to uh, definitely look at why uh, oil went up today and why this 
shows you that full fuel prices are unlikely to come down anytime soon. And then lastly, the Federal Reserve is starting QT this month. What will that look like? What's their plan there? So we're going to look at that. Let's take a look at the market today. The S&P was up 75 points. So almost 2% and close near the highs. Uh, and this is what I've been saying for about a week or so is that I, ever since the market turned around on, what was that, 20th, May 20th, with a nice high volume, what we call bottoming tail, uh, at the 382 retrace on the S&P from the 2020 lows. I know I'm getting kind of jargony here, but uh, basically, that was major support, and it reversed at that level. And that made me say, and then I looked at the sentiment. Sentiment indicators were really negative, and I said, "There's too many things lined up." And this is often what you need to do. It's not about one factor, because rarely does one factor change the direction of the markets of a particular uh, stock. It's usually a confluence of factors, uh, and we kind of had that a couple weeks ago. Uh, you have month-end window dressing, uh, end of, uh, sorry, the option X, which is right around that time. So a bunch of different factors were telling me, we're probably gonna get a near-term relief rally. Uh, now, how strong is it uh, yet to be seen? Um, we're, we're still moving higher. I think we do move into the 52, 42.50-ish range on the S&P. Now we're at 41.75. So. You know, another day like today, you can kind of get there. Um, so end of month, in the middle of the month, when QT really starts, which we'll talk about, I think that is probably the time frame where I expect this rally to potentially fizzle out. But hey, that means we have, let's see, one, two, uh, seven, eight more trading days before we hit middle of the month. Doesn't mean we're going to be up every single day, but the general tenor of the market is a relief rally. Part of that today, I believe, was the hope that Saudi Arabia will pump more oil, bring down oil prices, bring down the pressure on inflation, and thus the pressure on the Fed to tighten policy. And in my mind, that's what really drove the, the market's rally today. Uh, especially closing on the highs, which bodes well for a fall through tomorrow. Now let's pivot to the Investock Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 88899 chart. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is James from Georgia. Big fan of the program. I've got a question about Disney, DIS. I own some as a long-term, you know, hold. I believe uh, they're a good company, but um, with their significant drop-off, I was wondering at what price would do you think I should pick up more or if I should pick up more and uh, what y'all thought, what y'all's thoughts are on the long-term success of the company? Thank you. Well, Disney historically is a cash cow, uh, very profitable, but in the post COVID world, they are struggling. They were even struggling a little bit before COVID. Uh, their free cash flow went from 9.8 billion in 2018 to 1.7 billion in 2019. So they were kind of struggling then. A big part of their business is Disney, 
excuse me, Disney, <laughs> is ESPN. Uh, and uh, that's certainly, I think, getting disrupted a bit by independent media channels and cord cutting, which was a big source of their revenue, was were cable providers or cable um, subscribers, excuse me. And then Disney Plus was launched, and that started off well, but subscriber growth since has been pretty lackluster. And still good, but not as much as the, the market had expected or hoped. Um, and that's just the nature of you know the COVID shutdown uh, and, and kind of the trend there. So, you know, where is the buy point to pick it up? I still say $80. It's at $110 today. Thanks for the call. Running to a break, so give me a call at 888 chart Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today is based on this investing scenario when everything declines at once. And this is something that most investors don't understand is that allocations, that correlations, meaning the movement of one asset class in relation to another, that those correlations change over time. And they change in different economic backdrops. And a lot of people want to look at the long term and say that long term, there are the, the correlations between these asset classes are X and they expect that to hold true at all times. And the reality is that's not the case, especially in more unique times like this. Now, the standard 60-40 bond portfolio was always or at 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That was the standard kind of moderate portfolio. And we operate something similar to that uh, with our balanced income strategy for clients. And the thought process has always been, well, if equities fall, interest rates fall as well, which means bond prices rise. So that part of the portfolio will be a ballast towards rougher times in the economy. And vice versa, when business is good, economy is good, interest rates will rise, and that might be a headwind to bonds. They probably won't go up a lot, but you won't lose much because you're getting interest income as well. Uh, so any bond, any decline in those bonds is going to be minor overall in, in total return, and you're going to get the upside of the equities. Okay, and that's kind of their standard 60-40 bond portfolio and have that steady longer term appreciation. Well, that's when a few things happen uh, when interest rates are reasonable, which they have not been for better part of a decade. And bond or stock valuations are also reasonable. Uh, and with central bank intervention, that's kind of gone haywire, right? That that expected return from each asset class being decent over time. 
Now, for asset allocators, it's pretty customary to consider the possibility of future returns may differ from those in the past and adjust forecasts accordingly. And what most investors don't realize is that those expected returns are based on a lot of assumptions. And the models that are created by even large institutions. And that's why I hear investors, listeners call up and say, well, this, this outfit, right? This bank has a price target of X. And what they don't realize is that that's just a guess. Now it might be an educated guess, but understand that that's not gospel. And it's very difficult for anybody to foresee all the circumstances that might be out there in the economy, both in the near term and the long term. And investment participants overall, they react not only to what occurs outside of asset prices, but also what changes within them as well. And the fact that there can be contagion, meaning what happens within one sector of the market, whether that's US stocks, or it's mortgage bonds, or it's gold, whatever it is, can have an impact on another, which that can be very different than the inputs that you put in some sort of a model, right? Growth rates, interest rates, um, currency risk, um, cost of capital, etc. And so what happens here is that over time, those models are never going to encompass everything that could happen within their expected outcomes. Your algorithm, your model is only good as your inputs. And while expecting what has happened in the past to continue is a good starting place, what most people don't realize is that those, once again, are guides. They're not laws of the market. It's not a law that equities and bonds are inversely correlated. And if one goes out, the other goes down. Just look at right now. Basically since April, gold, bond market, stock market, Bitcoin, they've all been going down. And that's a confluence of two things, inflation fears, as well as recessionary fears, which we haven't had a combination of those two fears in a long, long time. So when you're looking at market correlations and ex expected outcomes, you have to envision a couple of scenarios, a few scenarios. One is recession, basically deflationary shock. Two, an inflationary shock, which we're seeing now, and widespread investor panic. So markets dysfunctioning. So understand that uh, these shocks can happen and you need to account for them in your portfolio. We're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin. Hey, Steve. This is Mike from Florida. Really appreciate what y'all do. I wanted to get your thoughts on Best Buy. I'm a uh, dividend investor. I like it good-sized dividends. This is over a 4.5% dividend. While it was kind of a soft earnings report recently, the stock hasn't really dipped, but it's at a low level right now. Do you think this is a good buy? I understand the environment isn't necessarily going to have an upturn right now in the economy, but for a long-term hold, a nice little dip into the consumer discretionary market in a safe company. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you. All right, looking at Best Buy, BBY, but $18 billion market cap, trailing 12 month, about $2.5 billion in free cash flow. So I like that free cash flow yield. They're buying back shares. They had, and they've done it consistently really since 2015, where they had 300, actually 2012, they had 375 million shares outstanding. And almost every year since, they've been, that's been declining now down to 249 million shares outstanding. So bought back about a third over the last decade. So that's good. Return on equity, pretty high, good margins. And earnings this year expected to be down from $10 last year to $8.61 this year, down 14%. So it's the back, bounce back next year to close to 10 bucks. But that also is an estimate. Those estimates are coming down. So I do think that, that uh, they're over-earning. Uh, but even if they're over-earning and you get back down to pre-COVID levels around six bucks a share. You're still talking about a mid-teen multiple, which is not bad for a company that has consistent cash flow uh, and a good balance sheet. And that's what I like about it is that they're able to buy back shares without having to overburden. They basically have no debt. Um, their enterprise value even is five, it's pretty low. Um, even though that's again, they're probably over earning and that's uh, five is at the low end of its kind of 10 year range. Um, not technically did have a nice reversal day late last week on high volume. So I'm a fan of that, at least near term. Um, so I'm going to give Best Buy 
overall thumbs up. I think it's pretty cheap. Uh, I like their I like their business. One thing people understand about Best Buy is their leadership changed, I don't know how long ago, five, seven years ago, and they shifted their business model. And what they have now, they're they're kind of like a they're it's kind of real estate in a way, where they they rent parts of their store to Apple um, and big brands in order to have kind of stores within their store. And they get consistent rent out of that because they basically are selling off their Best Buy traffic. Um, so while I think they are over earning, uh, as long as they can get reasonably back, you know, stay reasonably uh, near or above where they're what they're making pre pandemic, I think it's still relatively cheap company because back then they still were doing free cash flow of you know nearly two billion dollars and i think uh that even at that level it's still pretty cheap so i'm going to give best buy a thumbs up let's go to john in north carolina and let's talk about u.s manufacturing yeah hey justin hey uh first i wanted to just say that i've really been enjoying the um the weekly market analysis you've been putting out on fridays on the youtube channel so Thank just you. for anyone who who uh yeah, it's been it's been around something like pull up on the treadmill Saturday morning. So uh, my question about U.S. manufacturing. So I've heard you talk about um, sort of predicting a, a potential onshoring of manufacturing as sort of a reaction to uh, the pandemic exposing some of the issues with how outsourcing, offshoring, globalization, those kinds of things. I'd be really curious to know if there are a couple of um, industries within the manufacturing sector that you are keying in on that you're looking for maybe. Um, for that to really um, uh, kind of, I, I don't know, so targeting, I guess, maybe one or two um, industries within the sector that you see as ripe for that sort of onshoring movement. Yeah, I think number one would be automation. You know, if you're going to build a, a modern factory back here in the U.S. where the cost of labor is going up, uh, our job market is probably going to be tight for a long while, decade or two, now that all these baby boomers are retiring and we don't have the requisite population to, uh, working age population to refill that probably for another 20 years. Uh, and so wage growth is probably gonna be above average and that means you need to rely as much as you can on the, uh, you know, on, uh, automation and try to have as least work, least amount of workers as you possibly can as well. So that's number one. Um, obviously anything related to heavy machinery, uh, that's going to be in, in big demand, um, you know, engineering, being able to rebuild our infrastructure here in the U S as well as, uh, just the, uh, building new buildings that are, are needed for, uh, this, this transition. Um, so those are areas that we really like electrical, uh, equipment. Um, we like that as we, uh, try to modernize our electric grid, um, and things are becoming more electrified with EVs. Um, I think that trend is going to continue. Who are the winners? Um, you know, I think it's going to broaden out beyond just, uh, just Tesla so far. So, you know, those are just a few of the areas. Obviously, there's a lot of kind of subsectors within the industrial space that are interesting. Um, raw materials are always good. Uh, zinc, copper. I think those are going to be in, in high demand, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a great time for American 
industrial companies to help big business reindustrialize our country uh, in a big, big way. And, you know, it's happening quietly uh, and it's not a giant boom quite yet, uh, but it's more kind of consistent growth. Uh, and you look at that with uh, CapEx spending here in the U.S., it's definitely well above where we were pre-COVID. And that's just an indicator that uh, businesses are investing back in America because they see ge the geopolitical risk, because they see just-in-time inventory not as resilient, right? They're, they're investing in resilience of supply chains, and they can see how that can wreck their, their business if uh, they can't get the products that they need. So those are, those are some of the areas that I think are going to do very, very well uh, as this trend continues for, I think, the better part of the next decade. Thanks for the call, John. Loved it. Loved that question. 8899 chart, 8892 is how you get through, your question, through and ask your question on today's show. We have about mm, 15 minutes left. Now let's touch on QT, quantitative tightening. It began this or begins this month, and a lot of people thinks that, think that it start, started yesterday on the 1st, uh, but it didn't. But let's dig into that. So the Fed has about an $8.9 trillion asset portfolio, and they attend to let that shrink more passively, which they did back in 2007 to 2019. They also did a form of quantitative tightening, but just allowing some of the bonds that mature to not be repurchased. And that's what's happening now, is they're keeping their portfolio static by any bonds that mature, they're going into using those proceeds to buy new securities. But starting yesterday, the Fed will allow up to $30 billion of treasuries and $17.5 billion in mortgage-backed securities to mature every month without investing the proceeds. Now, none of the Fed's treasury holdings mature until the 15th of this month. So it really won't take effect for two more weeks. Now, in September, the Fed will allow double that, 30, 60 billion in treasuries, 35 billion in mortgage-backed securities to run off its portfolio. Now, the Fed has also said that they want to primarily own treasuries within their portfolio uh, over the long term. So I think that is a shift to monetize the debt uh, and not incentivize housing prices to go above uh, longer term income growth, uh, which kind of has. And I think uh, the Fed has facilitated part of that by keeping mortgage rates uber low. And so... They haven't ruled out selling some of their mortgage-backed securities, but mainly they're going to let that shrink over time due to prepayments and, and runoffs. Now, the issue, though, is with mortgage rates up and refinancing basically non-existent, the runoff is going to be a lot slower than they're kind of leading on. Because how runoffs work is you have a mortgage. And it's owned by the Fed because they purchased it over some period of time as part of you know, a larger mortgage-backed security. And you go and sell your house, you pay off that mortgage, that's a prepayment. Or you refinance your existing mortgage, that's also a prepayment, right? That can cause a runoff. But with, more, with rates so high, housing activity falling, right? Purchases falling overall and refinancing almost nil, 
that target is going to be probably far lower than you would expect if mortgage mortgage rates were back down to around 3%. Okay. Now what happens to this money? Well, basically this is just being pulled out of the financial system. When the Fed goes and buys, it does QE, they're typically buying these assets from large banks and those banks are typically holding it in reserves. And that's why the initial round of QE overall didn't create a lot of inflation because that money didn't get out there in the economy because the, the, the banks were not lending in a big way. They didn't really start lending until about 2012. And that's when the housing market started to take off again. So, and just the economy in general started to take off again. And so, that was an indicator of getting the money that was created during QE out into the real economy. Now the question is, how does that money move into the real economy? QT, because you have so much reserves in the banking system that it's really not likely to have a huge impact in the near term. Now over time, as that drains, there are gonna, a few things are gonna happen. The term, what are called term premium, it will increase the supply of bonds that private investors must absorb, right? If they're selling off or they're allowing these to, to roll off, then that means they're also not repurchasing. They're not part of the buying of new treasuries, new mortgage-backed securities. And that means private investors have to step in. And in order for them to step in, they're going to want higher yields. And that's a big reason why you've seen mortgage rates go up. You've seen uh, treasury rates go up. And... In late 2018, investors were concerned that the effects of the Fed's QT policies back then were causing uh, problems within the system because there was a sharp decline in tax revenues and spending was still very high under, under Trump. But right now, you're actually having the opposite problem. Tax revenues are surging and we're actually spending a little bit less than we did last year. But those tax revenues, because of asset prices falling now, are likely going to reverse. So I think this is actually going to be an issue maybe next year, the year after, saying, hey, now that we're not getting all this tax revenue from capital gains, what, what effect is this going to have on the Treasury market as issuance continues to go up? Because I don't think government's going to spend less. But you can see with asset prices kind of coming down, that's clearly going to have an impact on tax receipts, but probably not a huge impact on the Treasury market for another year or so. So then the next question is, when will the Fed stop their QT process? And they're still not a they, they have an idea. Um, but as we all know, typically the Fed will break something and then they will reverse course in some way. And I think that's will be the uh That'll be the case over the next uh, six months or so. Now, when will that be? We shall see. But I wanted to give you a rundown as we enter the month of June, the first month of QT. Now, summer is almost here, and I bet a lot of people feel like this year is moving by pretty fast. Uh, maybe not. Maybe the volatility in the market is saying, wow, I, I, I hate this year. Um, and the inflation. People saying this needs, year needs to get over. Who knows? But either way... We are moving into the summer. Now, the summer is a time where I do think there's going to be a bottom in the market. The early summer, latter summer, probably the latter summer, but this is also a time where volatility tends to pick up. 
And the question is, are you prepared for that? And are you prepared for that rebound? Are you able to put together a strategy that will succeed once the market does find that bottom and the Fed does pivot? And so I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting if you need help. And you can set that up by reaching out to us through investtalk.com or our 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 office, you can call our office 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Just a short 10 minute conversation can do wonders. So please reach out if you need help optimizing your portfolio. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at BKE. Yeah, hi, Justin. Uh, sorry to bring it up again, I guess, but uh, it was, you discussed it uh, yesterday and that's, uh-huh. just, that's when I became aware of it. Uh-huh. And it really sounded interesting uh, when you talked about it. And so I looked at it today on my TD Ameritrade uh, uh, website, and, mm-hmm. and it listed as a value stock. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you wouldn't have talked about it if it wasn't a value stock. But then uh, I clicked on another thing, somebody that uh, on the uh, TD Ameritrade site, uh, Zacks, you, uh, they, they like the company, but they call it a, uh, growth company. And, uh, so why would they do that? It's probably a value company. I don't know why they might consider it a growth company, maybe because it was growing nicely, uh, last year. Uh, a lot of that had to do with, uh, you know, COVID shutdown and people finally being able to get back out and spend money. And uh, a lot of consumers had money to, to spend, um, and needed an update to their wardrobe. And so, uh, Buckle is a, a popular place for that. They have stores in 42 states. So, um, but I would call it a small cap value name myself. Now we're heading into our final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hey guys, Dave here from Portland, Oregon. First time caller. Just started listening to your show. Had a quick question on ticker ADN, Advent Technology Holdings. I sold this last year at 16, 17 plus during, you know, December Q4 to now, stock has gone down to a whopping $1.36. So uh, I've been buying as much as I can in my cash account while holding on to some shares at six bucks in my 401k. Just want to get your advice, uh, company fuel cell for hydrogen. And uh, I just feel like by 2030, this could be a nice return. Just wanted to get your thoughts. Obviously not much revenue yet, but I do feel like long-term hold, this could be, you know, 30, $40, just my opinion. Love to get your feedback. Thanks. Yeah, this is the exact type of company you don't want to own in this environment. Uh, It loses money, and fuel cells have been the holy grail for a long time, and they just simply aren't economical outside of very niche applications. Um, And that's why if you look at, what is it, FCEL, that's uh, fuel cell energy, that's kind of in the same space, and that's been a consistent loser as well. 
And so in this environment, you want to own companies that produce earnings and positive cash flow. And going back to 2018, they've lost money every single year. They've just continued to issue more and more shares, 21 million shares outstanding then, now 49 million shares outstanding now. And their losses have ballooned from a million dollars in 2019 to $43 million in trailing 12 months. So this is a destroyer of capital. It's in a gut-wrenching downtrend. Uh, and you're betting that their business model and their technology is actually going to become profitable and economical when fuel cells just have been around for a long time and they never have been. So this is absolutely not something I would own. I would sell it immediately and move on. Uh, you know, keep it on your watch list and, and monitor the company for any progress towards profitability, advances in the technology, improvements in the stock price, et cetera. But at the current time, it's everything is moving in the wrong direction. So you absolutely want to be avoiding this name at all costs. That was ADN Advent Technologies. Now, lastly, let's touch on oil prices. And the news came out today was that Saudi Arabia is going to start pumping again. And Europe is banning Russian oil. Now, there was a little bit of a carve out here by the 27 EU member states, which was this was announced on Monday, and they're banning most Russian imports of crude and petrol products, excluding oil that's delivered through pipeline. And this was kind of a carve out for countries like Hungary, along with Croatia, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic, who all get a lot of uh, Russian oil from the Druv, Druvba, Druvba pipeline. I think that's how you say it. But seaborne imports will, will cease by year end. And so this will decrease imports of Russian oil by 90% by year end, 90% for the for uh, for Europe. And it has already dropped from 3 million barrels a day in February to 600,000 barrels a day in March and April. So it's already down 80% over that time period, but obviously it's going to go down even more. And what's interesting about the news that the Saudi Arabia is going to pump more, is that prices went up. Brent crude settled at $116.29 a barrel, up $0.69. Cents. West Texas, Texas Intermediate was at $0.59 cents to $115, spot 26. And Russia insists they can just export more to China, India, and Iran. But there are huge question marks. And the question is, can those countries fill the gap in demand? Probably not. Now, what's positive on Russia's side, they've actually increased uh, production in May, but that was after a 1 million a barrel slide in April. So it's gone up back up about two or 300 million per barrel. Um, but, what, but the end all be all is you really have to just focus on the price here, the price reaction. And the price reaction says, there's not much that can be done about high, high oil prices, uh, barring a reversal of fortunes in Russia and ending of the war and uh, thawing of relations, etc. cetera. Uh, but I don't see any of that happening in the short to medium term. 
I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And our official Invest Talk downloads count exceeds 42 million, thanks to you, which you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question with your review, we will prioritize the answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.